Hello there, I'm Benny. And I'm Kyle. And you're listening to The Doctor's Watcher. The podcast where I watch Doctor Who and I tell you about it. How hey are Kyle. you doing today, Benny? I just got off a family Zoom call. Um, today is my mom's birthday, so happy birthday, mom. Of course, by the time this comes out, it will no longer be your birthday. <laughs> happy birthday, baby's mom. Recorded. Re- record. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So... That was, that was fun. Good to see everyone. Yeah, um, Actually, my mom's birthday was, I think, three days ago. <laughs> it's, a, it's a good good time for mothers to have birthdays, I guess. <laughs> oh, and happy birthday, Kyle's mom, from the day that we record. <laughs> you were kind enough to say happy birthday to my mom. Yeah, I don't think my mom listens to this, but in case she ever does... I was just sort of sending that out to the universe. Uh, so <laughs> cool. today, uh, before we get into the episode, we wanted to say thanks to Jeff R., who sent us a nice email, which mm-hmm. included a great question. And Jeff asks, if you could be any character in the episodes you've watched so far, who would it be and why? So I will say before we answer that Benny and I have not discussed our answers with each other yet. No, but Kyle did share the question with me, so I have been thinking about it. True, that, yeah. But we wanted to we wanted to not spoil each other about what our answers might be. Mm-hmm. So uh, I guess I'll go first. Go for it. I, I thought about it for a while, and I considered the various serials that we've watched, and I actually picked a runner-up before I say who my actual person is. (laughs) And uh, my runner-up is Kublai Khan. And uh, the reason that I would potentially be Kublai Khan is because I like gaming a lot. It's true, especially board games. Yeah, and he also seems to like games a lot. Mm -hmm. But I ended up not picking him partially because I felt like it was a, a bit hubristic to name myself the emperor. <laughs> Come on, but, that's the whole point. <laughs> but also because I hope that I would have better self-control and better gaming luck than to lose half of Asia betting on backgammon games. <laughs> yeah. I, so, I'll mention I'll mention Kublai Khan in mine too, but uh, I'll let you uh, continue. <laughs> <laughs> the person I actually ended up picking is Chenchu, who is one of the servants of the warlord Tagana. Uh, if you remember the scene where the doctor is sneaking to the TARDIS in the middle of the night and Susan and Ping Cho show up, to tell him that they think that Barbara went to the cave of 500 eyes. Mm -hmm. And the doctor asks Ping Cho if she knows where the cave is. She's like, no, but Chen Chu probably does. And this dude comes like slinking out of hiding. He's like, oh, hey guys, what's up? Yeah, it's over there. He's been like spying on them this whole time. And yeah, I picked Chen Chu because... You just love that that, that slinky <laughs> spying vibe. Uh-huh, yeah. I, I feel like I tend to kind of hang out and not get noticed a lot. Like, if I go to a party and stuff, I'm just kind of like, back when we had parties, uh, 
I just kind of would hang out in the back a lot of the time and like listen to people's conversations, but not necessarily join in that much. And then like when somebody does notice me, I was like, oh yeah, I just got here. I haven't been like eavesdropping on you this whole time. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, yeah, so I picked Chenchu because I kind of slink around and I'm not always seen by by people. Yeah, I feel like when I used to go to parties, even when there were parties, rarely did I ever go to them. I would either hang out and eat snacks or find their pet and see if I could play with their pet. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty much pretty much it. <laughs> or, you know, find the one person there that I actually know and then, like, desperately follow them around. Yeah, I've um, certainly done that. <laughs> <laughs> so Kudlikhan was one of the ones that I was thinking about saying, too, because um, he's got hella elephants was going to be my reason. He's That's just nice. got yeah. so many elephants, um, and who doesn't want elephants? But I was going to say I don't. I wouldn't actually go with Kublai Khan because he has really bad gout, um, oh, and he's true. clearly not loving, not loving life. Even he can't even enjoy all his elephants because of his terrible gout. So yeah, no, no Kublai Khan for me. Yeah, I as far as I understand, gout is supposed to be pretty shitty and painful. No, it does not sound fun. Um, so one of the other ones that I was going to say is I, if I could be one of the cave people, I'm like, surely I could make fire, and then I could be the chief. Oh, that's um, a good I could, point. doesn't matter which cave person I am. Like, I, if I can bring my own knowledge, you know, if it's me getting to be this person, right? I could rub those sticks together, produce flame and then uh and then they'd make me their chief and i'd be the, the fire maker but and i was gonna say oh well, i'm not gonna do that either because you're still stuck being a cave person and that doesn't sound like much fun um they don't have a lot to do <laughs> uh so i actually i was gonna say i couldn't think of who to be but as you were describing as you said chenchu something occurred to me and i was like okay i think i'm actually gonna be I think I can't remember if we called him extra suspicious guy or super suspicious guy, <laughs> um, but he gets to have an eye patch and the monkey. Yeah. So that's I, gonna be my answer. I definitely considered him as well, <laughs> <laughs> for basically the same reason. Those are two good reasons. Uh-huh. <laughs> I guess you know, now I think about it, I could have an eye patch. Like I could just <laughs> buy an eye patch. <laughs> Half of this dream could come true. (laughs) (laughs) I will say that I would love to have my own stolen TARDIS and travel through space and time, but it feels like cheating to say I'd be the doctor. I think that's a valid answer. (laughs) If if you want to, you know, put up with all the, the doctor things. He does have a lot he'd have to put up with. Yeah. It actually be you know once we're once we've been doing this for a couple of decades and we've got a couple of doctors under our belt, I think it'll be interesting to compare doctors and decide like if we had to choose one doctor, right. which one would we pick? Especially from the classic doctors, because you know we can talk about which of the the modern doctors we like. Because even I've seen some of those episodes, but of the classic doctors, yeah, that will be interesting. But for the episode we're here to talk about today. Yes. We don't even know that the Doctor has multiple forms yet. That is true. 
Today's episode, Sentence of Death. Indeed, episode 25 of season one. Yes. And, uh, Benny, do you remember our Cliff Dingler from episode 24? Yes, but not because I have a particularly good memory, because I think as our listeners have probably noticed, I do not. But I did just recently <laughs> listen to the recording that you created um, before it went up on the um, uh, podcast app. Um, so yeah, our, our Cliff Dangler was that Ian shows up, so he, he just used his wrist dial device to teleport into a new location, and it looks like some sort of museum. Um, there's a display case with the next key circuit in it. Um, and there's an unconscious person lying on the ground. Um, and as Ian approaches the, the key circuit, someone, an unseen assailant, uh, sucker punches him or like cold clocks him from behind, um, puts the weapon that was used into his hand, takes the key circuit, and gets out of there. GTFO. <laughs> GTFOs. Um, I don't know how to make that, <laughs> how that works as a verb. I, I but... think it would be G's TFO. Our grammar troubles, I think, are becoming <laughs> a recurring segment <laughs> on this podcast. <laughs> um, yeah, and then it was, uh, you know, the next episode, Sentence of Death, so... Clearly, I think he, uh, our, our guy, Ian, is not going to get out of this with a slap on the wrist. Indeed. So this episode, Sentence of Death, starts straight up with the cliff dangler. No changes to that at all. And we cut from the cliff dangler. We get, you know, kind of a fade to black and then fade back up that illustrates passage of time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we cut to Ian waking up and the alarm is no longer sounding. He's still in the same room that he was before, but the alarm is off and there is another character there whose name we soon learn is Terran. And Terran is an interrogator from the Guardian Division. Cool. And he is there to question Ian. Cool. So Terran mainly wants to know what Ian did with the microkey, which Ian insists he didn't do anything with it. He didn't have it. Mm-hmm. Terran also wants to know how Ian got in, because it turns out this isn't a museum. This is like a maximum security storage facility. <laughs> nice. And Ian says that he just walked through this door, which was ajar. So... Terran, after kind of talking to Ian for a minute, basically assumes, ends up assuming that either Ian tricked the guard or Ian and the guard are working together. Hmm, suspicious. And Terran basically informs Ian that he's going to be charged with murder. Apparently this other body on the ground is actually dead. Dang. And... Ian's like, Well, there was another man in here. I got a lump on the back of my head to prove it. A likely story. Yeah, that's basically what Terran says. He informs Ian that here in Millennius, You are already guilty of this crime. The burden of defense is entirely yours. 
You must prove without any shadow of doubt that you are innocent. Otherwise, otherwise, you will die. First, Millennius, that's awesome. Um, great name uh, for, for a city or planet or country or wherever we are. Um, and two, I, I do love the guilty until proven innocent society, you know, set up. I, it, it's always fun when these sci-fi shows are like, oh, you know this Earth thing? What if it was different? Uh-huh. Yeah, I feel like the DM was kind of like, you know, we did the jungle adventure and we did the snow adventure, but for this next little arc of the campaign, I've got a courtroom drama for you. <laughs> yeah, I, I really like that aspect of this serial, that each episode has been kind of a self-contained adventure with a different um, flavor to it. Uh-huh. I think that's neat. Yeah, me I mean, too. must have been rough for the, uh, like, um, scenery builders and costume <laughs> makers and stuff to have to basically create a new uh, environment each time. Yeah. But it's pretty cool for us. So Terran suggests basically that Ian get a lawyer. And he asks Ian if he knows anyone in the city. And Ian says he might. Terran asks, Who is he? And Ian's like, Who? And looks ah. at Terran as if he should get the joke. <laughs> <laughs> but of course he doesn't. So Ian's just like, He's a doctor. We and this goes on for five more minutes as he says, <laughs> Yes, but who is he? Uh huh. But what kind of doctor? Who? That's what I'd like to know. <laughs> so we cut from this to Barbara, Altos, Susan, and Sabitha, who, it turns out, have so far been completely unable to locate either the doctor or Altos's friend, Eprin. They have all come to meet with Ian, because, you know, Ian is, like, locked up in jail now, basically. Mm -hmm. They've come to meet with Ian, and Taryn and Ian both enter the room, and they're all kind of discussing how much they need the Doctor and how much the laws in Millennius totally suck a lot. <laughs> the Kurt Clark... The, the Clurt Cork? The Court Clerk... <laughs> actually tells Barbara earlier, he says, The laws are very rigid. Offenders can be sent for one year to the glass factories in the desert, instantly and without trial. So, like, yeah, the laws of Millennius really do suck a lot. So, glass factories, that sounds, that sounds kind of cool. Though, yeah. You know, getting to make some, like, Christmas ornaments or something. <laughs> glass factories in the desert implies, I'm assuming, that they're, like, turning the sand into glass, which is pretty cool. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So as they're discussing all of this and how much they need the doctor and how much the laws suck, the doctor walks through the door and says, I quite agree with you, my boy. Ah, uh, doctor, what a, what a spectacular appearance. Uh-huh. Everyone's glad to see him. They all ask where he's been, but he completely ignores the question. <laughs> and he's back. Uh-huh. 
I, I do like the moment where, you know, he strides through the door and he says, I quite agree with you, my boy, and pauses to let the audience cheer and clap because it's been a couple of episodes since we've seen him. And of course, we all love the doctor. Yeah. Yeah. The studio audience goes wild. <laughs> <laughs> so he wants to have a talk with Ian. He says that they have work to do. But Ian is like, we haven't much time for a talk, doctor. In a moment, I've got to go in there and face an accusation of murder. I need a man to defend me. And the doctor replies, I am that man. Does he know anything about law or legal practices? Um, they, they address that in a few scenes, actually. Okay, cool. Yeah. Uh, I did want to give a quick wardrobe update here. Uh, Susan and Barbara have basically both gone back to just normal 1960s person clothing. Okay. Altos and Sabitha are both still wearing their, like, fancy Romanesque robes from the Velvet Web. Mm -hmm. And Ian is still in his Marco Polo outfit with, like, the cool, like, the cool jacket and stuff. Excellent. Yeah. In the Cliff Dingler at the start of the episode, he was wearing his furs from Snows of Terror, but they're gone now. So we cut to a courtroom scene. The set here is pretty interesting. There's a judge's bench with these three judges sitting at it, and, you know, this cool sci-fi-ish looking symbol on the front of the bench. Cool. The judges are all wearing... They're all dressed in black, and they all three have these very similar, uh, neatly trimmed but very regal-looking mustaches and beards. Uh, listeners, you, you can't see it, of course, for Kyle reached for his own mustache <laughs> and beard as he was describing these, yeah. uh, these judges. I wouldn't call mine regal, though. Well, you know, there's different They're... definitions of regal. <laughs> Their judges' hats are really something, though. They, I, I had a hard time figuring out how to describe them, but they're wearing these tall black cylinders that have like these these strips that are kind of a few inches wide that like come up the side of the cylinder and kind of like hang over and droop back down. But cool. they droop like way down, like over their torso and back, uh, all like all around the hat except for the area right in front of their face. Their hats kind of reminded me a little bit of, like, Russian onion dome architecture. Okay. Yeah, it was, it was kind of interesting. Cool. It's also worth mentioning here that the BBC paid three actors to come be judges, but apparently they only had budget for one of them to speak in, in the episode. <laughs> Maybe it's cheaper, like, if it's a non-speaking role, they don't have to pay the actor as much. Yeah. So in the courtroom scene, we do establish that the doctor will be speaking for Ian as per the laws of the city, and he says that he is somewhat familiar with the laws himself. He has studied them a little bit. The judge informs them, the speaking judge informs them, that Ian will be executed in three days' time. Unless unless the representative for the accused can show positive proof why the execution should not be carried out. Cool. The doctor wants time to, like, 
examine the evidence and prepare a case, but the prosecutor objects to this. <laughs> the prosecutor's like, what? Come on. <laughs> the main judge is like, dude, prosecutor, chill out. Like, murder itself is pretty fucking rare in millennials. I think it's pretty reasonable to, like, give him a little bit of time. Oh, surprising. I didn't think that the judges would, would be so accommodating. Yeah. So, yeah, the main judge kind of looks at the two non-speaking judges, and they both nod their heads. So he's like, all right, Silently. <laughs> cool, request granted, come back in two days. So court adjourns, and the doctor is just casually like, oh, yeah, I've been studying the laws here ever since I heard that Eprin got murdered. And Altos is like, oh, shit, that was my friend. Uh-huh. Apparently, like, the doctor had actually met Eprin when the doctor oh, arrived oh, in Millennius. And they arranged to steal the microkey together, but apparently something must have happened. The doctor thinks that Eprin must have told somebody about the key, and this person murdered him and took the key. So this arc of the campaign is a murder mystery. They just mm -hmm. need to figure out who murdered Ibrin and took the key and why within two days or Ian gets killed. Very cool. So the doctor assigns Altos and Sabitha to research duty in the library. And he tells Barbara and Susan that they can be his detectives and Ian asks what he can do, and the doctor just says, Trust me. Hmm. Because Ian's locked up, he can't do anything. I guess that makes sense. Also, I think it's interesting that the doctor has so much faith in himself when he's been studying the laws for, like, what, maybe a couple of days? Uh, yeah, probably no more than, like, a week, I would guess. <laughs> Between Snows of Terror and Screaming Jungle, it's probably been... Yeah, a few days to a week's worth of time. <laughs> not, not exactly a, a full legal education there. <laughs> Hi, I hope you're enjoying the episode. If you like our podcast, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes. If you'd like to ask us a question, share your thoughts, or make fun of us, you can email us at thedoctorswatcher at gmail.com or tweet us at drwatcher. Thanks for listening, and now back to the episode. So we cut from this scene to a little bit later. Susan, Barbara, and the doctor are all detectiving and they are interviewing Terran. Terran tells them that the heat reflector search that his men did of the room made it certain that the key is not in the room, but the autho-ray scans of everyone who left the room <laughs> made it certain that the key did not leave the room. Huh. That's the only element of the case I don't understand. I, I do love the, the heat detector versus the auto-ray. Very cool. Very cool. Uh -huh. Yeah, they had a lot of good technology in Millennius. So the doctor thinks that as soon as they can find the key, they'll figure out the identity 
of the murderer. And Terran is like, But we know the murderer. It was Chesterton. <laughs> the doctor asks him to leave so they can discuss the case. And he kind of grumbles, but he's like, Ah, oh, very well. And he goes. Barbara wonders how the key got out of the room. And the doctor's like, Oh, elementary, elementary. But he's really getting to this detective thing. Uh-huh. But he won't actually tell them yet. He, but he says he thinks he knows how the murder happened. Mm. Apparently, the big mistake that Terran has been making in his investigations is assuming that Ian is guilty. <laughs> Doctor says that he knows Ian is innocent, and also that there is a third person in the room. I guess he doesn't actually know this. He just trusts Ian, but, but functionally... So he has Barbara and Susan kind of replay the scene with Susan playing the part of the dead body on the ground and Barbara playing the part of Ian and the doctor plays the part of the third person who's initially in hiding who then knocks Ian out and takes the key. Mm -hmm. Now, he only has a few seconds. So he conceals the key, runs to the door, opens it, gets out and then closes it. But he can't do any further because already the security guards and officials are on their way. So <laughs> he decides to pretend that he is first on the scene. And Susan's like, The relief guard! Yes, yes of course! <laughs> it's a very convenient uh, conclusion to reach, slash, oh. you know, con convenient way of setting up the episode for the writer. <laughs> they figure that the relief guard came in, killed the main guard, and then heard Ian coming and hid, and then we know how it played out from there. So Susan's like, That must be how it happened. I'm going to attack. But the doctor's like, My dear child, this is only a theory. You must have proof. Barbara thinks that if the doctor knows where the key is, that would be proof. But the doctor says that that would clinch Terran's case against Ian if he revealed the location of the key now. He says, I can't improve at this very moment. I can't prove at this very moment that Chesterton didn't hide it in its present location. So Barbara wonders what to do, and the doctor is like, I have a little errand for you, and I think you will find it very, very interesting. Mm. <laughs> So we cut to the interior of this fancy apartment and we hear a knock on the door and this fancy lady with fancy hair answers the door and finds Barbara and Susan. So the fancy lady is please, like... Please describe this fancy hair for us. <laughs> uh, it, was, it was kind of braided, but I don't know the, like, the fancy hair terms sort of like a French braid, but instead of, like, going down the center, it was, like, kind of in a loop around her head. And, yeah, it's pretty pretty cool. I don't know, like, the fancy hair terms, but... <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't think this is the right podcast for that, but <laughs> it sounds fancy. Uh-huh. So she sees Barbara and Susan at the door, and she's like, oh, sorry, my husband's not home right now. And Barbara confirms that they did want to talk to her husband about the case 
but the fancy lady is like, I'm sure he'd want to help, but he's already told you everything he knows. And Barbara thinks that maybe there's like something he neglected to mention, but fancy lady is like, The guardians are very sorry, you know. So, so Terran is her husband? Uh, no, I think the relief guard is her husband. Oh, I guess that would make sense that they'd check the relief guard's wife's place. Yeah. Or I guess it's his place, too, if he's their main suspect. So Barbara asks her, basically, like, why somebody would want to steal the micro key. Mm. And the answer, essentially, is that it's basically just that it's rare. She says, Because there are only five of them in the entire universe. <laughs> kind of suspicious that the, uh, the guard's wife can immediately think of a good... Um, what's the, what's the, the crime term for this? A motive for uh, the crime? Yeah. So somewhere around this point of the conversation, her husband, Aiden, enters the room and... He also sees Barbara and Susan and is like, oh, you're with Ian or you're with Chesterton or whatever. And he wants them to leave. And, you know, Barbara says that she wants to talk to him, but he's like, I have nothing to say to you. Get up. Aiden. And they kind of pester him a little bit. And Susan tells him that they know where the key is hidden. Nice. And he says, but you couldn't know where it is. I... Yes. Oh. yes, you know where it's hidden because Chesterton told you where he hid it. And now you're trying to throw suspicion on me. Oh, very suspicious. Uh-huh. And he says, uh, now get out before I... And Barbara says, before you what? And Susan's like, kill us like you killed Eprin? Yeah. So they, they end up leaving... <laughs> He, so I think I think we can agree that guy was slightly suspicious. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> he actually like kind of raises a hand like he's gonna hit them, but his he wife like his... stops him, basically holds him back. His deadly fists of fury. So they leave, but they stick around and like eavesdrop through the closed door for a minute as he like asks his wife what they were doing there. There is uh, a brief implication of violence against women. It sounds like he hits his wife, which oh, was super shitty. Yeah. But we don't see it. It's audio only, and I will say it's the one, the only time that happens in this episode. Come on, Terry Nation. Yeah. But Barbara and Susan hear footsteps coming like down the hall or whatever. So they leave, they stop their eavesdropping and leave. Aiden, meanwhile, in the apartment makes a phone call to the prosecutor whose name is Eisen. And we get to hear and see Eisen's end of the conversation. And it definitely makes it pretty clear that he and Aiden are in on something together. (laughs) Quite hear what, but... These guys have got a pretty sweet setup, I have to say, between the like justice system already being set up to assume guilt of anyone who's uh, accused of a crime, uh-huh. plus the fact that the um, you know people who are 
their their job is uh, enforcing these laws are specifically the ones who are committing the crimes. Yeah. It, uh, it reminds me of Twitter these days. Yeah, it kind of <laughs> seems like uh, another justice system that I'm familiar with where the people who are theoretically in charge of law enforcement don't seem to have any accountability. Yeah, this definitely feels like, uh, yeah. So we cut to another courtroom scene, and Eisen, the prosecutor, is making his presentation in this scene, and he's talking about how savage maces are, because the, the murder weapon was a mace. And then he's like, Members of the tribunal, the evidence already offered is more than enough to ensure the conviction of this man. But add to it the fact that under psychometric examination, this mace was found to have been held in the right hand of the prisoner. I need say no more. And there's lots of murmuring in the crowd. Clearly no one else is right-handed. I guess. Something like that, yeah. Yeah, the, mm. the, the psychrometric examination. <laughs> I, do, I do enjoy these terms, yes. So, the, the one speaking judge asks for... A statement from the representative of the accused and convicted. <laughs> and so the doctor gets up to make his presentation. The doctor says, My lords, let me begin by saying that the murderer is without any doubt in this chamber. The trouble is, he's not under arrest, but my young friend here is. And there's lots of murmuring in the crowd. So the doctor calls Sabitha as his first witness. Cool, cool. I mean, she wasn't actually a witness, but all right. <laughs> we're maybe a character witness. Uh-huh. He shows her this big painting of the micro-key and, you know, confirms that she knows what it is and everything. And he asks if she knows where it is. And she's like, oh, yeah. And she holds up a micro-key. And there's lots of murmuring in the crowd. So the doctor asks her where she got it from, and she says, It was given to me by the man who killed the guard. So doctor asks her to point him out, and, of course, she points to Aiden, the relief guard. Wait a second. Is she lying under oath? I think she might be. Although we, I guess we haven't had, we haven't addressed the laws about that, so. Yeah, she didn't. Take an oath, then she's not lying under oath. That's true. I guess I don't think we saw her take an oath. So, um, yeah, so she points to Aiden, and Aiden stands up and he's like, But she can't have found it. I- <laughs> this guy's poker face sucks. Yeah, he was, he was not the best person to bring into the conspiracy. <laughs> <laughs> he, you know, realizes what he's saying. And, like, tries to run away, basically. But, you know, he can't, like, run away out of a courtroom, so he's pretty easily stopped. And when he's stopped, he says, 
All right. I'll tell you everything. I'm not in this alone. They made me do it. I'll tell you. Ah! <laughs> and there's this flash of light, and he falls to the ground. <laughs> and a few moments later, this kind of this realization washes over his wife, and she starts weeping and falls to the ground, like, over his body. She's like, damn, I don't think this is part of the plan. <laughs> we get another little, like, fade-to-black passage of time cut, and it's now shortly after the doctor has apparently explained what happened to the judges. You know, he's explained to them that they, you know, they did a little subterfuge, that Sabitha showed a different microkey, and we're actually still trying to get the fourth key here from Millennius and return the four of them to Arbitan. Mm -hmm. And the prosecutor, Eisen, is like, dude, the key is still wherever Chesterton hid it. And the doctor is like, fuck off, Eisen, I just proved it wasn't him. <laughs> he says, I admit that I resorted to a subterfuge when Sabitha... Uh, accused Aiden of taking the key, but I think the results justifies the means. That, that sounds like a very doctor thing to say. Uh-huh. The one speaking judge is like... There are a number of other points which we'd like to see cleared up. I like how every time a judge talks, you, you specify that it's the one speaking judge. <laughs> I, I think just based on that, we can pretty much assume that uh, mm -hmm. if there's a, a line and it's said by a judge. Anyway, never mind. He does a lot of like looking at the other two judges and they all kind of like nod and shake their heads together. They, they look very so, thoughtful. Yeah. Mm. He is conferring mm. with the other two, just silent confer conferration. But before we can hear what points the judges would like to hear cleared up, or like to see cleared up, the camera cuts over to a different part of the courtroom where Terran is telling Ian and Barbara that he's going to have psychometric tests done on the weapon that killed Aiden. Dun, dun, dun. Ian asks, like, what this is. And Terran says, It's the science psychometry. Experts are able to divine from an object the characteristics of the person who last had contact with that object. Like what Quinlan Voss can do in <laughs> Star Wars. Uh-huh. So yeah, that's why the, the unnamed assailant at the very start put the weapon into Ian's hand. So Ian would be the last person to have had contact with it. <laughs> I mean, I guess it's like the sci-fi version of getting someone else's fingerprints on the murder weapon. Uh -huh. Yeah, Barbara actually says... Oh, that sounds an improvement on fingerprints. But Terran doesn't know what fingerprints are. <laughs> Our fingers are completely smooth. <laughs> so, you know, they've had this whole kind of diversion of Aiden being killed and... You know, the doctor describing to the judges the subterfuge that they did with the microkeys, and now Terran's gonna investigate Aiden's murder weapon, but we get back to the actual tribunal itself. It starts going again, and 
as the tribunal progresses, it becomes clear that the judges still think that Ian did it. <laughs> I guess the new theory that Eisen and the judges hold is that somehow Ian has forced Aiden into being involved against his will. So they're just going to go ahead and carry out Ian's execution. It, you know, has not been sufficiently proven that he was innocent. Guys, we just we just really want to kill somebody. We <laughs> we really like the executions. Uh huh. I mean, what's the point of being a judge if you can't sentence people to die? It reminded me of that scene from a recent episode of Star Trek Lower Decks, where there's like the crystal people on the crystal planet, mm-hmm. and they've got like the the geode of judgment. I don't quite remember what it's called, but but yeah, basically they just want to like crush somebody in a giant geode that they never get to use. <laughs> but as as Ison is like making his prosecution closing statement, basically, a guardian enters the room and comes up and whispers something to Barbara, and she gets up and leaves and is followed by Altos and Sabitha. Uh, I guess Susan was not in the room, and Ian wasn't either. Ian's still locked up, of course. Mm-hmm. And apparently Susan had gone to get Ian's statement, so she wasn't there. So out in the lobby, the clerk hands Barbara a note that was apparently delivered for Barbara by a messenger, and... Barbara looks at the note, which apparently says that if they reveal the location of the key, there will be another death. Altos. <laughs> Altos it, is these like... These guys really just can't stop being suspicious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Altos is like... Barbara, you realize what this means? It proves that someone else was involved. I must tell Tannel and the doctor quickly. But just then, the phone rings, and the court clerk answers, and apparently it's a phone call for Barbara. So he hands the phone to her. So is, is this phone, like, does it just look like a normal 60s telephone that goes ring, 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 ring? Or do they have some sort of sci-fi thing going on? Uh, they've got a, a nice sci-fi phone, actually. Cool. It's... It's on like a pretty big base, um, like a size of a bread box maybe, and it's got some buttons on it. Then the phone itself is, or like the handset, I should say, is basically like this. It looks like a metal a metal rod that's probably about a foot long. Cool. That's you know got a wire like connecting it to the base, but there's like some holes. <laughs> kind of drilled into it around the the ear area cool and uh and it beeps it doesn't ring it beeps so yeah i should actually say that the phone beeps just around then (laughs) and the court clerk answers it and he hands it to barbara and on the phone barbara hears the very distressed voice of susan exclaiming they're going to kill me and the title, next episode, 
the keys of Marinus appear on screen. Sounds like uh, we might be coming to a climax for this serial. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah, it does seem like it. Um, <laughs> I did want to say that it's kind of an interesting how they've they like changed the format a little bit with this because I think you know in this serial so far we had the very first episode where it's basically just presentation of the quest essentially mm -hmm. quest being go get these four keys and bring them back yeah and, and and they're trying to avoid getting warded right and then you know we had the velvet web where they successfully got a key mm -hmm. we had the screaming jungle where they successfully got a key we had the snows of terror where they successfully got a key so then you're expecting, all right, well, they're probably going to get the key here in Sentence of Death. Mm -hmm. And then we'll probably have like one more episode where they bring them all back. But here we are at the end of Sentence of Death, and they certainly don't have the key yet. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting because like as you're gathering up your MacGuffins, then it can always be interesting to either like prevent you from getting the next one or even like to take some away. Right. Um, so it's, it's a fun little twist. I also wanted to mention here at this point that, you know, this was the fifth episode of this serial and we've been talking about this serial the whole time without ever actually naming the serial itself. Mm-hmm. And basically the reason for that is because the, like, official or unofficial, I don't know how official they are, but, like, the common name for the serial is The Keys of Marinus, which uh, is our next episode. It's one of those classic use one of the episode titles as the serial title. Well, I mean, I think this one really makes sense because yeah, what we're trying to does. do is we're trying to get the keys. Yeah. Yeah, and, like, The Keys of Marinus the the episode I mean like as you mentioned it's basically setting it up to to seem to be the climax and yeah it really is just like what the whole serial is about just rounding up these keys and getting them back mm -hmm. I think just for the record I believe Marinus is the name of the planet and I believe all of these locations have been on the same planet oh okay okay I think it's interesting to do um, this type of mystery courtroom drama type type scenario, but I, I also really enjoy how they make the guilty parties just incredibly suspicious and <laughs> blurting out their their guilt at uh -huh. the, the slightest uh, interrogation, just because. You know, Doctor Who is a kids show, and uh, otherwise, I think maybe some some of the younger audience might get a little confused or lost. <laughs> yeah, but I guess so, we can't get like too sophisticated. Yeah, when you have the 
the the suspicious people basically just start being like, oh, but you can't know where I hit the guy. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> then mm-hmm. even a little kid can be like, wait a second, that's suspicious. <laughs> <laughs> I'll bet he did it. And it's like, well, good job, Junior. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> uh, you solved the case. <laughs> You're so smart. Real Encyclopedia Brown here. <laughs> yes. Cool. I guess our listeners are going to have to wait two weeks to find out whether or not Ian gets executed. (laughs) I feel like if he were to be sentenced to death, then it would have happened in sentence of death. Wait, no, actually, uh, let me think about that. I think he was sentenced to death, and now they just have to prove that he wasn't guilty to get him out of the sentence of death. So I guess technically the next episode would be like, execution of the sentence of death (laughs) or you know the keys of marinus all right bye listeners bye hi kyle here the doctor's watcher would like to thank circuit 23 for the awesome theme song he created for us you can find his music including our theme at soundcloud.com slash circuit 23 and you can reach him at circuit.23 that's circuit.23 at gmail.com. Thanks to Benny for listening to me talk about Doctor Who, and thanks to all of you for listening to Benny listen to me talk about Doctor Who. We'd love to hear from you. You can reach us at thedoctorswatcher at gmail.com or on Twitter at doctorwatcher. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you review your podcasts. Join us next time on The Doctor's Watcher. Don't say any more. There are people near. I'll take it on the personal. All right, go ahead. You really think she knows something? You mean that our young friend may not be able to go through with it? Well, listen carefully, and I'll tell you what you may have to do.